Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. My guest today is Janine Cohen. Before we get to Janine, I have a few announcements to make. First and foremost, our website, TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and see photos of the guests. You can see articles that they've written, articles that I've written. You can see links to their social media and websites, and you can see links to our social media. And that is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, there's links to our Facebook page, and you can uh, subscribe and follow on all those platforms. I'd appreciate it. We also have links there to Stitcher Radio and Apple Podcasts. We're also on iHeartRadio and all the other places you get your podcasts. So if you can subscribe on those platforms, I would appreciate it as well. I would also appreciate a, uh, a good comment and maybe give us a good rating there because that boosts our presence and helps more people find us. And that's a cool thing for you to do. If you want to write me, maybe you think you'd be right for the show. Maybe you know somebody else would be right for the show. You can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, Janine Cohen. I saw her on Instagram or Facebook or somewhere, and I could see she was a travel professional and was uh, living in Mexico or writing a lot about Mexico at the time. And I went to her website, JanineCohen.com, and I said, this would be a great person to have on the show. She's a travel expert, focused and based mainly in Central America, with Mexico, Costa Rica, uh, South America as well. So she was living in Mexico when I started following her. And we recorded this interview on October 21st, where she was in Oakland, getting rid of all her possessions and selling all her stuff and moving permanently down to Mexico. So big transition in her life. This is all pre-election too. So as I'm saying this and recording this right now, I have no idea how the election's going to go. So I could have waited to do this intro after the election, or I could record this intro right after my interview with her, which I'm doing right now while it's still fresh in my mind. I chose the latter. So when this comes out, the election would have already happened. I, for one, welcome our alien overlords. <laughs> That's an old Simpsons reference. Uh, so anyway, whatever happened, I hope we're safe now when this comes out. Janine is someone who got out of Dodge. And you know, she's not the only American nowadays leaving this country for good. But she has a lot of uh, history and experience in Mexico and uh, Central America to draw on. Something tells me she's going to be just fine. And the place she's moving to sounds beautiful. So this interview we're about to hear is my first time ever speaking with her, and it was great to meet her. Her website is JanineCohen.com, J-E-N-N-I-N-E-C-O-H-E-N.com, and she hosts retreats, and she does life coaching, amongst many other things. So go to JanineCohen.com if you want to learn more about her. After, of course, you listen to this interview. Please enjoy my conversation with Janine Cohen. Janine Cohen, you're in Oakland. Is Oakland lovely this time of year? I can say uh, in October, having been up there a number of times, because my birthday was last week in mid-October, that every time I've been in the Bay Area around my birthday in mid-October, the weather has been perfect. So is it perfect now? It is perfect now. And I saw that it was your birthday on Sunday. So a very happy belated birthday, Mike. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It is perfect here right now. Actually, I'm I'm packing up my house in this particular moment. And I remember this time last year, I was also packing my house, getting ready to leave, thinking, why do I always leave in October? This lovely <laughs> right. time of year. Um, but I'm actually staying until the end of the month so I can get the most out of it because I, I, I know that it's the most beautiful month. So well, yeah, yeah, it's lovely. It's, so we're recording this on October 21st and you're packing up. So you already hinted you're going somewhere. Where are you going? And why? I am, and that's a really great question. Um, I so um, so my fun story is I was actually working on this consulting project uh, during COVID times, 
starting in about January. And it was a continuation of this wonderful trip that I was on where I decided to do the whole digital nomad thing and was living in Patagonia and then was living in Mexico for a time uh, working for geographic expeditions and also doing this little um, consulting project as well and found myself in the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico when, uh, when COVID started. And I started getting these messages from the U.S. Embassy saying, you know, these daily messages saying, prepare to repatriate immediately or be prepared to stay abroad indefinitely. And I kind of just thought about it for a few days and the flights were getting to be fewer and fewer between Mexico and the U.S. And there was some risk, of course, that they might stop entirely as they had with all of these other countries around the world. And so I kind of made a snap decision and I decided to stay in Mexico during COVID. And it ended up being a really wonderful decision. And I stayed way beyond what I had initially planned to do and was there for six months. And then I came back to the U.S. at the tail end of summer, beginning of fall, and uh, decided, you know what, I felt like I was pretty happy when I was in Mexico, and now I can work from anywhere. So I'm going to just make that my home base. And uh, packing up my house, and I'm executing that vision. Wow, that's a big move. I mean, was it a little tainted by the fact when you came home and everything was on fire? Was, was that a problem? Well, I mean, <laughs> did that influence it, anything? <laughs> well, it did. It did. I had already sent that in motion, and I and I knew that even though the Bay Area has been home for 15 years, and I love it, and I have such wonderful friends and a great community here, that um, really maybe isn't where I want to be based right now, at least. Um, and yeah, so the fires did start just a couple of days after I got back, but. Um, kind of long story short is when I was in Mexico, um, I was in conversation with a wonderful woman who's become since a very, very close friend, my friend Sandra, who actually is in Santa Monica right now. Aha. And, Here we yeah. go. Now the plot yeah. thickens. Now we're getting yeah. to the real business. Yeah. So anyway, while I was in Mexico, I was um, thinking and uh, manifesting while I was sitting on the beach doing my morning med- meditation about the perfect person showing up in my life. Um, and uh, I really meant someone to rent this house that I've got here in open <laughs> while I could continue. I guess you need to yeah. uh, be yeah. more specific with your manifestation. Exactly. Well, I kind of <laughs> I, I, I kind of conveniently left those words off the manifestation, you know, to rent my house. And it just said the perfect person. <laughs> and uh, in Sandra, uh, now my now friend showed up in my life and, uh, Long story short, uh, we ended up taking, when those fires started here in California, this absolutely epic road trip around the West because um, I came back, we met, and uh, ended up getting in the car and getting out of Dodge with the fires and drove out to New Mexico and ended up having this incredible journey around Arizona and New Mexico and Nevada and Utah, seeing the American West. I did the same thing. You did the same thing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. I don't know about you, but I'd spent so much of my career looking at maps of other countries. And so when I came to this country, I was like, where exactly is uh, New Mexico in terms of like, what? Oh, it's right below Colorado. Oh, look at that. So they could just- <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure you knew that. Before okay. okay. The- I did. I did. I did know that, but, but like barely. And I did. I definitely <laughs> had not had that extensive of a road trip. We were, we were gone for just over a month. Um, and it was it was wonderful, and um, you know it was the summer of the ro- American road trip, and wonderful to be out there on um, you know sacred lands, and um, was just feeling really grateful. And that kind of world opened up uh, wacky New Mexico of all the interesting characters out there, and really reminded me of a lot of places I'd been to before, but especially of the Andes. Seems to be that kind of energetic connection between like you know Santa Fe and Taos, and then uh, uh, the Andes mountains and actually those cultures, the native cultures are are quite connected. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was wonderful. So we'll get to, uh, Mexico in a second, but, uh, yeah, so I took, um, two 12 day road trips, one to Southern Utah back in the start of June, Mm -hmm. right after the morning after the riots, I felt that was a probably good time to leave. 
<laughs> so I uh, threw everything in the car and went down to uh, I went to Bryce Canyon and Zion and Moab and all that, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was great. Yeah. And came back through Arizona and saw friends. And then uh, in September, around Labor Day, I, I finally did my last two states in Wyoming and and Montana, and went up to Yellowstone and Glacier and Teton National Parks, and that was great. Came back mm-hmm. through Bend, Oregon which I had never mm. been before. It was lovely. Did Tahoe. And then I was going to maybe see some friends in San Francisco. But by that time, uh, it was on fire. Everything was on fire. So it kind of chased me back. Yeah. But, it's, uh, been a, yeah. it's been a rough summer here with the, with the fire season in Northern California. <laughs> so where did you grow up that you didn't know where New Mexico was? Well, I grew up in Florida. Actually. Oh, what part? West Palm Beach. All right. Been there. Many times. I had a lot of family in Florida. Yeah. Well, since you know Florida, then you know that it's a lovely place. Um, but to, to leave? <laughs> a wonderful place. A wonderful place to, to leave, perhaps. Yeah. I haven't lived so, there in a long time. Right. So you had ambition and that's why you left? Okay. Got it. <laughs> well, All the best you know, ones do. Yeah. You know, it's funny because right after high school, all my friends were quickly out of there. Um, yeah. and I, and I do enjoy paddling on the intracoastal waterway, but, um, you know, we kind of had a saying when I was growing up, uh, especially this little area where we grew up, it's kind of where country meets country clubs. So yeah. you pull up to the gas station and, you know, on one side of you is a, is a little old lady who can barely see over the steering wheel with her little white dog, uh, next to her. And in the car on the other side is a huge, uh, truck lifted Confederate up on flag. The, with the Confederate flags, exactly right. Yep. So it's just kind of oh, a wild. It. It's a wild convergence of cultures, really. Yeah, yeah. The um, I did a comedy club back there in the '90s when you were just a child. Uh-huh, uh huh. I a, was. It was a the Comedy Corner. You remember that was? It sounds in West Palm familiar. Beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, God, that was a hundred years ago. But mm-hmm. yeah, I know it well. I know it well. Yeah. But so uh, I'm assuming you. So did you go north for college? Um, well, I did, which ended up being quite a mistake. I, I oh, laughed no. with my friend. We have this joke, uh, you know, that was one of the mistakiest mistakes I ever made. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that that was a mistakey mistake going to college in Boston. What do you mean? That's like the best college town in the world. Yeah. So, um, you know, I went up to Boston to a liberal arts school for university and I just couldn't hack it with the winters, Florida girl. Yeah, (laughs) I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. So I ended up transferring out to California to UCLA because one of the requirements was it needed to be a warm and sunny place. Uh, It's a nice option to have. Yeah, it is a nice option to have. So that, that's how I actually ended up in California and I've been living mostly in California with a short stint in New York. And then also was living for a short time in, Central America in there. Um, but other than that, I've been living in and around California um, for the last 20, 20 so years. Uh, I was always envious of people that go to college in Boston because there's like 50 colleges there. It's like the greatest college town ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, was, it was great in terms of, you know, you get to meet a lot of students beyond the ones who are in your university. I mean, I had friends from Harvard and BU yeah. and BC. And so that was really lovely. But um, yeah, I need more color in my life. So more color and more sun. So Boston with the, <laughs> the brown bricks and the gray skies, not not really my speed personally, but I, I get it. There are a lot of students there. But then you ended up going back to New York. I did. That was another mistakey mistake. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sensing a theme here. Yeah, well, you know, you got you to have a couple of good mistakes in there to make the rest really juicy and good and the learning. That was when I was first starting my career in travel. And, um, you know, at that particular moment in time, it was when travel magazines were really a big thing, you know, the actual print print magazines. Um, so I went to work for a luxury travel magazine and they were all based in New York, still are. And I was based there. And then eventually, after about a year and a half of that, decided why did I do this? Why did I come back to the Northeast? This is not my cup of tea exactly. And so that's when I um, very quickly and abruptly decided to quit that job and went down to live in Costa Rica and work for Outward Bound, actually. And I did that for, uh, gosh, about a year and a half 
bushwhacking my way through the jungles of Central America as the director of the program, doing leadership programming. And I don't know if, have you ever heard of Outward Bound? Yeah, my brother did it in, uh, I grew up in Chicago and okay. he did it up in the, uh, you know, uh, upper Wisconsin and like Canada around there. It was like two, it's like super hardcore camp. It's like Boy Scouts times five. <laughs> or something, right? Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good way of defining it. And so I had this experience of being in New York doing this, you know, super high end with luxury plane, you know, luxury private jets and all of that. And then the really rugged adventure side doing the, you know, the bushwhacking through the jungle, so to speak, for a month plus at a time. And after that, I really wanted to find a way to merge those two sides, the luxury and then the, the real adventure. So that's how I ended up coming here to the Bay Area, because this was at that time and still is to a certain extent, a kind of a hub for a handful of adventure travel companies that do the luxury stuff and the true adventure and worked uh, for a time, a couple of years managing operations for Backroads, a luxury tour operator, and you've probably heard of them. Mm-hmm. And and then and and doing sales as well there, and then went over to uh, Geographic Expeditions where I was for the last ten years, actually to the day, ten years to the day, and um, and now just kind of working on a number of projects and businesses out on my own, which has been really, really rewarding and super challenging <laughs> on right. many many days, <laughs> as you well know. So when I ask you, or anybody asks you what you do, there's about eight answers you could give. I know life right. coach. I know life coach is one of them, right? That is one of them. Yes, and it's funny because I, you know, I work with my clients to help them get their kind of elevator pitch, so to speak, really tight, so that they can easily communicate what it is that they do. But as for me, I am a life coach and a still an adventure and luxury travel expert. And I'm also um, launching, I have something called the Women Travel Leaders Association, which is a a professional organization that's growing quite rapidly right now for high performing uh, women who work in the adventure and luxury travel segments. Because, you know, we realized that as women, there were a lot of opportunities and challenges that we shared. And getting all of these incredible women that I know from all over the world and expanding our network to really bring both uh, mind, body, spirit, plus business skills to this community of women who have done a lot of good in the world and really elevated communities to, to bring them the kind of support that they really uh, need and deserve at the highest level. So women who are at the CEO level or in the, the executive levels And surprisingly, nothing like that had really existed to support all of these women. Um, You know, you know, in our industry still that uh, tends to be a lot of smaller businesses, but, but, but the people who are producing are really producing a lot um, and working really hard. And it's a unique challenge to be an entrepreneur and also a unique challenge to be a woman, you know, at the top levels, even within a larger company, too. So it's just bringing together people from different sides of the industry together. Um, then I also have launched um, a, a boutique uh, high-end adventure travel company doing transformational travel as well. Um, and then I'm working with some private clients doing some representation work. So it's a, it's, it's a lot that I'm juggling right now, but it's fun. I, I didn't want to sign up for doing just one thing for the rest of my life and get the gold watch and <laughs> et cetera. <laughs> All those days so, are over. Yeah, I'm pretty sure those days, those days <laughs> are over forever. But, but you know, just so much more interesting this way. Yeah, but uh, I've talked to a number of uh, female travel professionals on this show, as you can imagine. Uh, mm-hmm. But I remember uh, a few of them saying that that solo female travel is the fastest growing uh, demographic in the travel industry. Is that true? Well, I'm not surprised to hear that. It definitely is um, pre-COVID. It, it certainly was. Um, well, I yeah. think it will. Yeah, I think it. When things come back to whatever the new normal is going to be, I think it, it certainly will be again. And you know, from what I've seen, Mike, that I just feel like the women are really for those who have community, and, and women are good at that, right? Of when in a stormy sea, women know how to be in community and how to really share their emotions. That's been kind of a big part of this whole thing is, is like, 
you know, you want to be in a safe harbor with friends when the storm is happening. And women throughout history are naturally good at that, right? Um, and so um, women crave that kind of community. They need it. It's, we're, we're sort of wired that way. But as a female who works in travel, it's not, you don't get that same kind of support through other kinds of friends. Because, you know, for me, for example, you know, I love my friends who are not in travel, but they have lives that are, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? You're flying all over the world. You're, you're here, you're there. They, 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 they can't really understand that side of my life fully. And um, there are a lot of other women out there like me who work in travel and who have built successful businesses and really stepped out in a way and um, taken some very bold moves in their lives. And they've traveled to all seven continents and they're just, you know, out there doing incredible things. And so to have that kind of a friendship of people who are both kindred spirits, but also operating at the highest levels, you know, everyone needs support. So it's really just kind of bringing them all together and making something that's even bigger and better. Everybody has a fear of uh, the unknown. I think it's kind of natural. And and one of the things we try to do on this show is try to dispel people's fears of of traveling to a place that they don't really know or traveling solo or telling them that it's it's not as expensive as they think they as they think it is um i would imagine with female travel it's uh, is fear the number one thing that holds them back i think safety and security absolutely is on people's minds women especially but frankly I do really think it's the fear of the unknown that is informing this kind of voice. And you have to really ask yourself, is it my voice or is it the voice of someone else or some other thing that's telling me I should be afraid? I mean, look, Mike, I've been <laughs> The traveling. president? Yeah, maybe, maybe, right. Maybe something like that. I mean, I've been, look, like, it's crazy. I've been traveling my whole life, right? My whole adult life quite regularly. And, you know, knock on wood, I've, I've never had anything negative happen, right? I mean, I do have a community of support no matter where I go, and I wouldn't say I'm totally oblivious. Um, but of all the places, I came back from this 10-month journey where I was living in Patagonia, and then I was living in Mexico, and I really felt like people were looking out for me. And I came back here to Oakland, and Mike, literally the next day after I got back when the fire started, I got my stuff together to get ready to evacuate for the fires. And I walked into my driveway and the van was my van. I have this magical van, which is kind of my, my surf ride and put my kiting gear in that. And it's, um, uh, you know, like my safe, happy place. It's beautiful and reclaimed wood and all of this. And anyway, I went out into the driveway and it had been stolen. Um, oh, and God. so, yeah. So like I haven't actually had any, and I've had one other security incident here in San Francisco. Um, and I don't mean to make San Francisco out to be this dangerous place, but you know, the interesting thing from my perspective is I feel like this energy, this collective energy in the U S everyone is so dying to travel right now just to get out of the U S yeah. my perspective, <laughs> everyone I know, like even people who didn't even travel before that I meet and, and I tell them I work in travel. They say, Oh my God, I, I can't, I can't wait until we can travel again. And I'm thinking you never traveled before. But yeah. <laughs> now everyone wants to get out. So I do well, think it's this yeah. kind of slingshot effect that's going to happen now. And it's a classic thing of you don't know what you have till it's gone. Exactly. Uh, you know, exactly. and, uh, and you, well, you and nothing is guaranteed. Not only that, having the time, having the health, to do it, that's a big deal. So uh, you don't take anything for granted. I certainly don't anymore. But yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, I mean, I, I'll be out of here the first first time I can <laughs> I can go. But I don't know. It's it's if if you look around. I mean, your business obviously has changed a lot. And I know in interviews you must be getting asked this all the time. So I'll ask it. Uh, this is the standard TV news question. Where do you see the travel industry headed after this? I mean, I don't think anyone can answer that question, Mike. No one knows what the heck no is one going knows. on. No one knows. I mean, I could I could sit here and say, well, I think da 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 da. And, you know, I've read uh, many industry reports, um, you know, some more uh, based in actual data than others, you know, and you know that sometimes things that become news are really just some talking head says something because of their, they think 
something, not because it's based on any kind of data. Sure. And then that story kind of gets repeated and repeated and repeated. But there are a few things that I do think, um, if I was to say what I think is going to happen, um, and that is that, uh, I mean, there's the trends that we already know, right? Not new ones, like people are going to want to travel privately, who, people who can afford that um, as much as possible. And, you know, places like villas, longer stays, the digital nomad thing, now that people realize they can work from anywhere, you know, the, the cat's not kind of going back into the box on that one, right, where right. all these tech companies here in San Francisco have closed their doors, at least till the end of the year. Now they're saying until next summer. And then the question is, well, how do you get all these employees to go back to an office now that you've given them all this freedom and realize that, um, you know, their their performance is actually better than it was before. And you can lower your overhead by not having this office space. But yeah. I think the deeper question for me is really around um, the American values around capitalism and consumption. And what is it in a situation like this, in this particular culture in the US, our culture is kind of based on bootstrapping and you can do it on your own. And if you work hard and you know, and now all bets are off, right? I mean, people, especially in our industry, as you've seen, people have really lost everything in some cases. And they said, gosh, I did everything you told me to do. I worked hard. I did the thing. And I think people are really, especially more than ever in this year, really waking up and rejiggering their entire lives to really think about, well, what is it that's going to bring me happiness and joy that's not just related to my career, right? Because we're so career focused in the US. We're so about ambition in the US. But What's going to really bring me that deeper sense of purpose and meaning and joy um, and balance to my life? And really at the center of it, I believe it's, it's community. And yeah. Well, what is, the, what is the uh, downtown like San Francisco vibe like now that, like you said, companies like, I think it was Google, right? That said, everybody just stay home for the rest of the year. And they weren't reopening things. I mean, there's got to be these other companies that, I mean, some people just don't like working from home and they, they miss the office. I mean, it's not for everyone, especially for people with kids. They're just like, oh my God, get me out of here. But uh, yeah, I think office space is going to be much cheaper now. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you know, everyone was kind of waiting for the shoe to drop in San Francisco real estate, right? But Yeah, we've been waiting for down. that here. I mean, right, <laughs> right. So there's been kind of a mass exodus out of the Bay Area, which I think a lot of people know, and out of cities in general. Um, for right now, I don't know if that'll be permanent, but um, major shifts have been happening. Um, a lot of people have been moving to Tahoe. Home prices have gone up by, I've heard, 50% in Tahoe. Yeah. And here so, it's and then, Palm Springs and things mm -hmm. like that. Joshua Tree. Yeah, right, right. But what's interesting is that Californians are, from what I understand, going all over the U.S. now, you yeah. know, beyond just the places that are a couple of hours away. And um, that's kind of an interesting shift. But as far as what things feel like here, I mean, things are starting to feel a little bit nor more normal now that the fires are over. And um there is traffic and things like that. Although, frankly, I don't know where anyone is going. Um, <laughs> I still thought that everyone, you know, or most people are working from home. But, but the city of San Francisco did just announce that it's going down to, um, you know, a lower uh, level, um, which means that things will start to reopen again now. Some offices and uh, restaurants and things like that. So, um, but the rest so of the company, the rest of the country is spiking now. Returning along with the beautiful fall weather that we're happening that we're having now. But, you know, I don't think life is really ever going to be the same here in the Bay Area um, and what it's going to look like, you know, who knows. But this idea of, you know, lots of people are kind of moving. It's accelerated this trend, which I'm not an expert in this, but a lot of people are just going to live now, like to your point of doing the things that they always wanted to do. And maybe that means going to live up in the mountains for a while. So yeah. all these mountain towns, like, you know, my dad's got this cafe in the mountains in North Carolina. I mean, they're having it's now late October, their October is busier than their July. And it's mm -hmm. not a destination that usually is um, busy after the, the leaf, the leaves turn, but it's just, you know, everyone's kind of on the road right now because so many people are either not yeah. working or they're working remotely or they don't want to be in cities. So that's been so interesting. Uh, where, when COVID hit, you said you were in Mexico and you stayed there for six months. Where, where in Mexico, what town were you in? 
So I was in a place called Sheikh Shaloub, which is just outside of Medida in the state of Yucatan, living in a beautiful house right on the beach, actually. Um, that doesn't sound be- terrible. Oh, no, it, uh, Mike, it was wonderful and actually <laughs> had some really um, profound shifts in terms of my own operating system from that experience of having the opportunity to really drop in to being on the ocean for multiple months in a row. Um, gosh, something I never thought I'd have a chance to do, but just really paddling and swimming and being in the rhythm um, with the ocean and learn to kite and watching the tides go up and down and the sunrise and the sunset and thinking about and knowing really how that was affecting my own energy really brought in um, some deep wisdom that I'd never really tapped into prior to that and just wasn't much in touch with what was going on in the U.S. other than being on the periphery of things, seeing social media from the U.S., but definitely a totally different vibe down in Mexico and um, really felt quite outside of things um, with regards to the collective stress and the collective fear that really exists here. And I feel so, so grateful to have just been where I was placed during that time. And um, it was wonderful. In fact, I would say 2020, um, dare I say, it's been one of really the best years ever for me personally. Wow. I mean, so what were the restrictions there? And like in the Yucatan, I mean, I know in various parts of Mexico, it's, it was different. I've talked to, you know, a friend who had a place in Acapulco and people in Cabo and stuff like that. I mean, the more touristy places must have locked down a little more, but were you out in pretty rural? I mean, I was in an area of the beach that is not a particularly international stretch of coastline. It's mostly right. Mexican families that have homes that they just go to really in the summer. So how, so, like, were you near Cozumel or something like that? No, Sheikh Shalub is um, close to Progreso. Um, that stretch hmm. of coastline actually, yeah, it's just not really known at the international level. It's on the Gulf of Mexico. I think the reason it's not too known internationally is because in the wintertime when most Americans go there, the coastline actually doesn't look that beautiful. Um, the water is kind of, you know, not super clear. But actually, it starts to turn this really, really blue color, and it turns into just crystal clear starting in April. And so from April all the way until later in the summer, um, yes, there are some storms that can come by, and in the afternoon, sometimes it does rain, but the water is just so, so blue. And so I think the reason it's not on the radar for for many Americans is because it's not really the beach itself is not really such a winter destination. It's actually more of a summer destination. And all the Mexicans tend to go there during the summer. Um, But Merida is a winter destination, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site and kind of looks like um, Havana if, you know, if it was totally fixed up and beautiful. And um, it's a a really, really beautiful city. And one of the, it's the second safest city in the Americas. And it's got a very high quality of life. So how is your Spanish these days? My Spanish is 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 good. It's 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 quite good. I'm conversant. I've been managing Latin America for the last 15 years, so I've had Good for to, you. Yeah, I've been kind of flowing back and forth between the US and Latin America for a long time. So actually when I was in Patagonia, one of the things that I did was I hired a really wonderful instructor who's since become a friend to do hiking in Spanish at the same time. Um, so we would just hike up to the top of every mountain peak that we could see and just be speaking in Spanish. And then we would bring the Spanish book with us and we would just take stops along the side of the river or the top of mountain peak or at a refugio and review all the grammar and the different things. And, um, it was such an incredible way. I think there's something about walking that really changes the brain and allows a lot of new information to come in. It's kind of like, for me, I don't know. Yeah. It's just totally different than if you're sitting and trying to problem solve uh, or, you know, you're sitting and let's say you're like in therapy or something. And it's just this kind of stuck energy, but the movement changes everything. So let's talk about Patagonia and how you ended up there. And because uh, uh, that's on my bucket list. I was in Ushuaia oh. <clears throat> working on a cruise. I caught an Antarctica cruise in Ushuaia, but I didn't have time to really explore down there. So Chile's on my bucket list as well. So 
Tell me about that. How long were you down there and what brought you down there and how many mountains did you climb? Oh, well, I love Patagonia and it's so great that it's on your bucket list, Mike. Um, <laughs> I've actually been, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I've been many, many times through the years. I'm very grateful for that. Um, and it actually started this whole kind of um, my life flipping upside down, or maybe one could say right side up, started with an epic trip to Antarctica with a big group of friends about a year and a half ago, um, where we did an expeditionary cruise and tr crossed the Drake Passage. Um, and on the back end of that trip, um, you know, and just all the spaciousness and <clears throat> way of thinking about our lives and how we wanted to live them. I ended up going uh, with some Argentine friends sailing. Uh, I'm a sailor as well here in San Francisco uh, through through the Andes in the uh, Nahualwapi Lake, which is uh, in Bariloche. And we spent a couple of days on the boat. And um, I just realized how much I really loved it there. And it was a wonderful trip. And I came back to San Francisco and just felt this, strong call slash pull to retur return that whole year. It was just calling me, calling me, calling me. So I actually ended up going back to Argentina. I decided in October of last year to give it a try to actually live in Argentina, something that had been this kind of fantasy of mine for a long time. Um, and so I booked myself a one-way ticket to Buenos Aires. And one of the women through my women's group very graciously just gave me her apartment in Recoleta, which is wonderful. And she just said, you know, just stay as long as you want. And I, um, it was really, and I ended up working awesome. out at the, yeah, I ended up working out of the Awasi um, office, which, just, which is just in the building right next door. And it was really great. And then I went down to Patagonia, um, literally for what I thought was going to be a weekend with a backpack. And uh, I just loved that life so much living in nature that just one week turned into two weeks, turned into three weeks, turned into four weeks, turned into all of a sudden I was there for four months. My friend was sending me messages saying, you know, are you ever coming back to Buenos Aires or are you just going to stay? And I didn't know anyone really. I knew just a couple of people on the periphery and um, just started living in a cabin in the woods in Bariloche. I mean, I've been all over Patagonia. I've been <laughs> really all over Patagonia, further south as well. What I like about Bariloche is it's, it's livable. You know, the weather is not too extreme there, but as a home base, you can really get to a lot of other areas um, in that part of the world, you know, down either in, in the Lakes District or Northern Patagonia. And uh, I just fell in love with it. Um, so yeah, that was how I ended up there returning again. But as someone who works in, uh, works remotely, uh, what was the Wi-Fi situation in the, in Nowheresville, uh, Patagonia? Well, Barrio Loche isn't really Nowheresville. I mean, it's a oh, city. I thought you were out in a cabin city. or something. Oh, I was living in a cabin, but actually about a five minute drive. Um, it, it was felt like it was really remote and it was overlooking the Andes mountains and the lake and all, and all of that. But just about uh, not five minutes, but maybe about 10 minutes down the road was a co-working space. So I went to a co-working space every day and I spent um, the day until the late afternoon there. And then as the days are so long in Patagonia, I would just draw, you know, finish work for the day and then just go hit the trail. So it was a really good balance. Well, how cold did it get there, Miss Florida Thin Skin? <laughs> well, I was Can't handle Boston. <laughs> yeah, I was there in the summer. So okay. Yeah, but some some days were cooler and rainier, but it was it was quite warm <laughs> overall. Yeah, you timed that out right. Uh, yeah, no, it, yeah, that didn't that wasn't accidental with the time. Quite, <laughs> yeah, quite intentional. Yeah. How how do you love Buenos Aires? I love that place. That's my favorite city in South America. Oh, I do love Buenos Aires, and I have such wonderful friends there, um, and it's such a great place. But I have kind of um, I, I'm not really I've kind of gotten to a point in my life where I've just realized I'm not much of a city person anymore. And I'm, I'm just a lot more sensitive to energy than I ever was before. Um, but yeah, I mean, going to the great restaurants there and um, just being there is always wonderful for me on the way in or out of Patagonia. And good wine. Amazing wine. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It'll give you a nice hangover too. With yeah. All Malbec and the tannins. And, yeah. But it's, it's great. So as a, um, someone who's been around Central America so much, we all know like Costa Rica and that's like, you know, really common place to go and, and, the, and the hotspots of Mexico. Now we're going to pick your expert advice. What's a good place to go to that maybe 
tourists don't know about that you recommend to people if they really want to like a cool, affordable, safe place to go and be in nature? Well, I mean, after having been all over Central America, I mean, there are a lot of really wonderful places all over Central America, but my favorite place actually does happen to be in Costa Rica and it's the Osa Peninsula, which is one of the most amazing places I've ever been on this planet for wildlife. Um, there's a wonderful company called Travel Pioneers and they do some really incredible things using private planes and private villas and off the beaten path stuff. But uh, I mean, people often think of the Amazon as being that experience to see the most wildlife you could possibly see. And the Amazon's great, but I really think the Osa Peninsula is where it's at in terms of wildlife viewing. I mean, there's just so much there. You're so deep in the wilderness and most people who go to Costa Rica don't go to that area. Plus a lot of the areas you can only access by boat or very small eco lodges that are, don't have anything else around. So I really, really love that area. It's always been special to my heart. And even when I lived in Costa Rica at that time, there wasn't really a great road to get there. So I didn't even, I didn't even really spend much, if any time, the first couple of trips I was in Costa Rica. But once I went, it, it totally blew my mind. What uh, spot do you think that's well-traveled that you would recommend people not go to that's like maybe overrated? Do you steer people away from a certain place? I mean, talking about in general in Latin America? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I think that there are places to consider maybe instead of other places. Um, you know, for example, um, like Colombia. Uh, Colombia is a place that is not within Latin America, not really much on people's radars, but there's just so much there in terms of wilderness areas and the Andes mountains. And then you have these cities that are totally cutting edge. And I just went to Medellin. Oh, you did? In yeah, January. That was my city. last trip. My last time yeah, out of the country. That's an incredible city. And so it was you cool. saw what's happening there just in terms of it being a really livable city and you can access all these beautiful nature areas, but there's also like a popping small tech scene happening in Medellin and a lot of young people living there and it's really vibrant, um, uh, really high quality of life there. So um, I think, you know, it's always kind of thinking about, well, how do you dispel the, the quote unquote, the fear? Um, I'm sure you felt it when you were in Colombia. It feels so safe when you're there um, and really people are kind of looking out for one another and, um, so I think it's really about thinking about the what's next, you know, what are the places that maybe aren't on the bucket list, but should be. Uh, and for me, Columbia is one of those places. Oh, cool. Well, what's on your bucket list? Where, where haven't you been that you're dying to go to? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of at the chapter of my life where, I mean, I just feel so grateful. Um, you know, I, it's kind of a um, a joke with some friends of mine, um, kind of a joke is, uh, you know, thank God we did everything, you know, because <laughs> we just, we just went everywhere many, many times over. So right now I'm kind of just, I'm in it with packing up my house and what I'm, where I'm dying to go to is just to know what it's like to live in another country again and make that my home base. I mean, I kind of thought about for a long time, I've been back and forth with, well, um, you know, what's a place where I can live, but I can uh, have flights readily available between North America and South America so they can get everywhere where I need to get professionally. And that place ended up being Mexico. When I looked at the flights coming in and out, um, uh, it's just very, very connected to those two places yeah. strategically. And um, just the quality of life there is so high that I decided, okay, instead of being based in San Francisco and making all these trips down, to Mexico and South America, um, maybe I'll just make Mexico my home base and then make this the place that I visit for, you know, the summer and the fall. What's going to be your closest airport? So like, if you got to well, get back to Florida, I love Thailand, but being halfway around the world with my mom's 85, you know, I'm a little worried about that. You know what I mean? If I got to get back for something. Yeah. Yeah. But then yeah. I realized, you know, living in California, most of Central America, it's a shorter flight to Florida than here. You know, like <laughs> Medellin was three hours from Miami. We're here. I'm five yeah. and a half. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah what's going to yeah, be yeah. your closest airport from where you're going to where you're going? Well, for flights to Miami, Medida is only an hour and 20 minute flight. Um, and here, as you said, it's five and a half hours <laughs> yeah. for me to get back to Florida. Um, and then Cancun is a two and a half hour drive away from where oh, okay. I'm living. 
Um, and from Cancun, actually, you can, you can really get anywhere from Cancun. Any anywhere yeah and the flights are actually at least they were before covid let's see how it goes now quite inexpensive since it's, it's a hub um but then medida doesn't have all the you know it's a more sophisticated kind of traveler who's going there so yeah i feel like it's gonna just be a home base i'll still continue to travel a lot but then that will be my base you know janine i'm getting the impression that you don't realize it's great again here in america <laughs> I'm starting to get that vibe that maybe you're not on board. So yeah. as <laughs> so as we yeah. uh, as so many of us are looking elsewhere to live, what is the visa situation? You can actually be in Mexico um, as a visitor for up to six months, and right. if you want to buy property, you can establish uh, residency. Although, frankly, now there's been a change in law so that you don't even have to have the residency until it's time to sell the property as opposed to buying it. Really? Um, yeah. Um, and then I'm actually in the process of applying for EU citizenship myself. So yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess you kind of picked up on the fact that uh, my timing is such of to happen of the exit, exit stage left right before the election. Happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you have a spare bedroom down there because uh, I'm going to need a I place. I do. I do. Yeah. Come on down. I've got a, got a three bedroom house down there and more and merrier. Right. Yep. Well, I don't know if it's changed because I knew um, guys who have bought in Costa Rica, you know, you, Costa Rica real estate has been found out for years and it's nothing but mm-hmm. like century 21 signs when you go down there. Um, mm-hmm. But I know buying, according to the people I know that bought down there, it's a different situation than Mexico in terms of buying property. And Mexico's weird that if it's like within, what is it, 100, 100 meters of the ocean, you, a foreigner can't buy it or some kind of weird thing. Um, so what has it changed now? Or I don't know. There have been some laws that have changed, yeah, in the last couple of years. But I mean, there are some really wonderful, wonderful and super reputable agents that are up on all of those laws um, that can speak to that more than I can. But what I can say is, um, you know, for me, I think the hunt of getting the right contact is really fun. You know, so for example, whether it's a realtor or, um, you know, finding a great massage therapist or something, you know, the one thing is everything. <laughs> You know, everything is so kind of done and discovered in the U.S., but what I really appreciate being in Latin America is that people really are everything. You know, having that that list of contacts, when you find a really great person, things spread via word of mouth very, very quickly. So it's not like there's like Yelp, you know, for example, where you're like, okay, you want to find something and you go look on Yelp. No, in those parts of the world, you want to find something and you reach out to a network of people expats or they're called mechpats working remotely themselves or have their own businesses who are more internationally oriented and you know you get the contacts that way so um for me it's like the 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 fun of the hunt so to speak and just the way that things kind of happen in a more old school way one could say than just you know dialing up uber eats on your phone although you do have uber eats there but <laughs> it's more more connected the, the community aspect is more important so if you miss anything when you were gone all that time, was there anything about the U.S. you missed? Uh, you know, maybe the, uh, I don't know, good good Chinese food? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anything? I mean, just my friends and family, but that's about it. Little yeah, conveniences not, or anything like that? Not really much. And actually, Mike, I decided after that experience of, you know, being on the road for 10 months with a suitcase that I didn't really need much more than that in terms of what I would own. So I've literally been back here in California for weeks, just going through all of my worldly possessions and basically just either giving or sell, giving away or selling basically all my stuff. Yeah, I'm doing a, a bit of that myself. I've embraced minimalism over the years and uh, travel has a lot to do with it. You know, once you live out of a backpack for a few months, you realize, what, what do I really need? I need a Wi-Fi connection exactly. and, a, and a shower. Exactly. So, <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah, so, a I lot mean, of my wardrobe from other chapters of my life. Yeah. Totally, you know, given away or, uh, yeah, virtually everything. Quar- even quarantine's been really good for that for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like you go through the photo albums and then you go on to, okay, what's the stuff I really need? And then, then on to the next project. So I got to know how absolutely. the van situation ended. Oh, well, the van situation, the van did come back to me. Um, my, my magic van was uh, stolen, as I mentioned. Um, and yeah, it came back and I decided that it was uh, doesn't want to live with me anymore as it was stolen. And so she's going to be sold, actually. Where did they find it? 
they found it um, not too far from here. Actually, the police, the lovely police officer called me and told me that uh, he was having his morning coffee and uh, was at the strip mall and noticed a van with that looked kind of suspicious. And he called it in and it was mine. And there were, were some people who had been living in that van. Um, oh, boy. Quite unfortunately. So just what I'm seeing in terms of urban areas, especially here in the Bay Area, is it's kind of become this like slow boil where things have kind of deteriorated. The situation's kind of deteriorated and, and deteriorated here. Um, and, uh, you know, there's the homeless situation's gotten quite bad, very unfortunately. And, uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good time to sell. Exactly. So that's, <laughs> what, I'm, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> How long have you had that van? I've only had it for a year. Um, actually, I think oh, it was okay. my, yeah, I think it was my hope that maybe I would manifest, you know, like the perfect co-pilot to drive that van with me because what I discovered is, um, you know, I'm not really much of a driver. I'm much better on the water than I am on the land, better at paddleboarding and kiting than driving a big van around. So, um, Is that what you took on this big New Mexico trip? No, actually, because the van was stolen. We ended up just uh, by a regular SUV, which was great, and it was speedy and wonderful. But the one thing, the the ideal trip for the van, you didn't have the van, finally. That's ironic. Yeah, it is kind of (laughs) ironic, but but that trip actually was what made me realize I wanted to sell the van because what I thought was going to be, you know, this amazing dream. What I quickly realized when we got on the road is the van is so large and it just drives so slow. And there's some really big stretches across the American West. And it was in the end, it was better to just have a car that was, you know, a bit more yeah. speedy. You know, a buddy of mine met me. He's got like a transit van like that that's all tricked out. And it's mm-hmm. new. And he brought it to um, Utah. Nice. And, um, you know, he said the same exact thing. It's just like, it's, you get on the highway, it was really loud and really slow and used a mm-hmm. lot of gas and you yeah. it was hard to get around. <laughs> yeah. you know, it was great when you parked it, you know, at the you know, that was great, you know, on the campsite mm-hmm. and everything else. It was cool for sleeping, but everything yeah. else about it was was hard. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. It's not um it was something that was a, a bit of a a quick decision right. to to buy the van. Um, it just it all came to, together very quickly and kind of landed in my lap. And I thought, yeah, like this is totally the thing I'm going to do. But that that ended up being also a mistakey kind of mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So now we're in the speed round here. So give me your, you know, as someone who does uh, active sports like you. And a lot of hiking, a lot of, you know, activities. Ever been hurt or sick overseas and had to go to a hospital in in another country? I mean, gosh, thank God I've never had to go to a hospital in another country. But what I do really appreciate about Latin America is... Healthcare? Um, (laughs) Yeah, healthcare I've definitely had to tap into. Um, and, uh, And I do appreciate the doctor's visits to the hotel room or to your home. That's, that's like a really nice thing. And I also find that the care in many parts of Latin America just tends to be for things that are routine, right? Not for anything that's like so complicated or you need to tap into that kind of situation. But for things that are routine, I find the care to be so much more heart-centered and thoughtful overall in Latin America and much less bureaucratic. So I love the way that the the doctors, you know, kind of come to the home and or they can do that. I mean, I still get text messages from my homeopathic doctor in Mexico, like little memes of the day. <laughs> and I, it's hard to imagine, you know, I think the system that we have in the U.S. is it's so stacked against the both the doctor and the patient of, you know, the doctors are just so overworked. And um, it's really challenging probably for many of them to be entrepreneurs and start their own private practices and just the cost is is much lower in many parts of Latin America and, and the and the education there, you know, some of them have been many of them have been educated in the US and, and oh, yeah. then they have their own, you know, really excellent um, you know, universities as well, that you know, medical training, especially in a place like Mexico. So I actually felt I, I have Mexican health insurance right now. Um, I feel that it depends on where you are and you really need to know where to go, for example, which hospital you have to have a referral, you know, from friends to a certain yeah. doctor. You don't want to just like let it go on a whim kind of to anyone. But I did find that it had really excellent care. And I really would suggest for anyone who's going to be doing strongly advise for anyone who's going to be doing any kind of international travel and more adventurous for or for an extended period 
to go ahead and get a service that um, like Ripcord or Global Rescue that does um, uh, evacuation insurance and right. also medical medical advice services as well, um, because they have an incredible global network of medical professionals that can really jump in. And even if you want to just have a phone call for peace of mind of someone in your native language, um, they know what kind of facilities and what kind of physicians are available from place to place. So they can tell you, okay, yeah, this is something that's easy and routine and you can get done in country. Um, this is where we recommend going to, or um, no, you know, we really don't recommend that you get that procedure there in that right. country. And, you know, we'll go ahead and evacuate you and get you back to the U S. So that's an invaluable peace of mind service. And having worked in the adventure travel industry for 15 years, I've definitely worked with those companies a number of times um, and they're really excellent and um, you know hopefully not something that anyone ever has to use but if you do have to use it sure glad that you had it so i wanted to uh, give you a plug for your retreat you do these retreats i think you mentioned right i do yeah so i do i'm i'm actually starting to launch transformational travel trips including kiting retreats as well and then um, trips that we're launching in patagonia and mexico turkey and beyond um, right now people can just go to my website, which is, uh, janinecohen.com, J-E-N-N-I-N-E-C-O-H-E-N.com. But there will be a more fully built out website soon. Is this more travel-based or more of kind of a life coaching based or what is it about? Yeah, that's a really great question, Mike. And I'm, I'm glad you asked it because it's really a convergence of both. So part of my, um, what I've really enjoyed and what I've found success with, because I think we always find success in what we enjoy the most has been the convergence of uh, where the coaching and the travel come together. So that's really been where the juicy stuff has happened. And that's also the work that I've been doing with the women travel leaders as well of helping all of these incredible women to find and be in alignment with their highest purpose and kind of back to the roots, so to speak, um, in rediscovering what that is and leading their lives in a different way. And I've really felt like I've been uh, uh, called to be a stand of support for other women who are making similar changes in their lives because cha- change, there's power and learning the tools to really up level. And so for the uh, transformational travel trips that we're launching, it will really have not just the physical component, but there will be a physical component because I do believe that having that physicality is really a wonderful way to release and move energy, but doing things like ceremony because ceremony is a really important ritual with transformation and change. Um, Things like nutrition, wellness, uh, group coaching, one-on-one coaching, and then kind of pushing just to the edges um, gently, but um, pushing to that outer edge because that's really where the change again, it does happen there. So some of the retreats like in Mexico, for example, are incorporating kiting into them. Um, but really just helping to really be at the most vibrant levels to live this life the best way possible, assuming we only have one of them. And as you said, like, why not do it now? Right. How long have you been doing these? Well, I've been doing this kind of work since well, the outward bound days and even before that. So um, it's really kind of just merging all of these different things that I've been doing through these 15 years together under one roof. And that's the best part. So with outward bound, what would you say the the most extreme thing you did that you look back now and you go, man, I can't even remember. I can't even believe I did that. Well, I think being a whitewater rafting guide as a woman is challenging, especially, (laughs) you know, from an emotional perspective, but also from a practical standpoint of literally having the raft flip many, many times and then having to grab all the people out of the water, you know, some of which are three times your weight and uh, doing that in a way that is the safest possible for everyone. But I think there were a lot of lessons in that for me, you know, especially the whitewater rafting. And, um, you know, the big one is when the raft flips and they teach you this in, in swift water rescue, which is a training where they flip you over, over and over and over again. Um, When the raft flips over, typically there's the space between the water and the raft where you can breathe. But at some point you're going to have to go under and just start, you know, getting your way out of the situation. So when you do that, you go under the water and there's all of this activity down there and water's moving and 
it's just, you know, your levels of cortisol are as high as they can be. But the idea is to just kind of stay as calm as possible and pick one direction and just start going. Because if you're under the raft, if you pick one direction, you start going a couple of ways in one direction, then you change directions and you change directions again, you could just get stuck under there and drown. And so I think for entrepreneurs, and that's what I'm seeing a lot in my coaching is people feel really dazed and confused right now because there's a lot of energy swirling around and they feel like they can't plan um, because they don't know what the future is going to hold. But my response to that would be to just take the step and then the next step, and then the next step after that, and to have a plan, but to also have faith that if you're really stepping into in a courageous way, your soul's purpose, like you did with, you know, really stepping into the comedy that you've done, and really hearing that call, and finding ways to hear your own voice, as opposed to, you know, maybe someone else's voice, if you should be a doctor, you should be a lawyer, you should do something that's safe, or, you know, work and travel, that's not a career, and da, da, da. I mean, you could just get crazy. So, having the practices in place to really allow you to hear your own voice and then not only hear the voice, but to have the faith that you actually know the answers to your own questions and then to take the appropriate steps to make those things a reality is really everything. That's what manifesting is, right? Is that your thoughts inform your actions, um, inform your beliefs, and it's all this kind of cycle. So how do you set yourself on that cycle towards success and then um, really to defining and redefining what success even means to you or to me or to anyone else. And I think that's shifting for a lot of people now. Well, I know a lot of people, at least this winter, are thinking about going to a place like Mexico or something. And then when you got that threatening letter that you weren't be able to come back, what was the situation like coming back? I mean, did, did they hassle you at the airport? Did they ask for a COVID test? What was the, how'd you get back? I got onto a plane and I flew back. <laughs> that, and that was, was pretty it? Much Just it. that simple? I mean, it actually was the simplest flight I've ever been on. The flight was almost empty. There wasn't any testing on either side, actually. Um, so, yeah, pretty straightforward. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but, um, you know, there's been a lot of confusion around the U.S. and Mexico, especially. Oh, yeah. That's why I'm asking. I have no idea what's happening. Yeah, so the land, there was just an announcement yesterday that the land borders would be continued to be closed except for essential workers. But the thing is that that was only ever about land borders. So Mexico has been open this whole time, actually, to U.S. tourists. In fact, it's really Mexico's strategy, economically speaking, to continue that. They're, they're not planning to close borders. So, right. um, so their flights are completely driven by demand in the airlines. Um, but there have been flights ever since March you know, one could have gone to Mexico and still that remains open. So for people, yeah, I mean, I feel like half the people I know are going to Mexico this winter. And I think there's already um, early indicators that show that Mexico is going to have a bigger boom than they expected just because they're one of the only countries, frankly, that is open to Americans right now. Yeah. And Canadians, you know, a lot of Canadians, you know, with my mom in Florida, you know, they're wondering if the snowbirds are going to come down this year to uh, right. Florida. You know, they might just go straight to Mexico or something. Right, right. Yeah, everything's changing. So where do you think all the travel you've done and, and living overseas and living outside of America and, and being around the world, uh, how has it changed you as a person and how has it changed how you look at the world and people in general? Well, in terms of myself, well, everything's changed, really. They say people don't change, but Gosh, I was in my house the other day and I felt like I literally saw myself from a year ago walk past myself and kind of throwing everything into a bag quickly to go on a two-hour commute to work and be stuck in traffic. And um, I literally lost 20 pounds during COVID and I wasn't on a diet. I was just listening to my body and what it was asking me for instead of just shoving it full of sugar and chocolate at every turn <laughs> to keep it going. Um, and caffeine and all of that, but really asking myself, what do I truly need in this moment? And um, it's not always about doing, you know, sometimes it's really just about being and um, rediscovering myself in that particular way. Wasn't really a part of myself that I knew at all, um, you know, how to really drop into that. So for me, this has been, I feel really grateful. It's the whole opportunity is certainly not lost on me on the opportunity to know how to just be 
Um, Kate Northrup wrote a wonderful book called Do Less, and it's about how to be in the divine feminine, which is just more about being. And um, I really think that's what's called for in 2020 is learning how to do that. We in the US, it's a kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because we're really good at getting things done, but sometimes there's not really much to do other than to just be. So that's been the big uh, boon and gift and knowledge for me this year. So um, in the coaching work that I do, it's not always about helping people. You know, we have this idea that if you do more, uh, you know, you got to push hard, you got to work hard, it's got to hurt, it's got to, you know, that's kind of the US mentality. But actually, when you're doing things more in flow and more in alignment, things just start getting really easy. So that's the work that I teach for the coaching is to be in that flow consciousness all the time. Yeah, you realize why the Puritans were kicked out of every country and ended up in America. <laughs> all that mm-hmm. Early to bed, early to rise, work all day, suffer. Just like, yeah, why don't you take that to the new world? Goodbye. See ya. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to really ask. <laughs> yeah, totally. You have to really ask yourself living in this country or, you know, what are the roots of that kind of mode of being? And it's not, you know, it's something that really came about, about exactly. It's puritanical, it's, you know, from the Industrial Revolution and in a knowledge-based, um, you know, ecosystem where we're working in a global um, environment. Is it really of the highest service to you as a person and what you're bringing into the world? And I think the answer for a lot of people is no. And it's certainly not for me, any kind of reality that makes sense anymore to be, you know, working from sun up to sundown. I mean, where, where's the space, the spaciousness in that to really live life to the fullest, um, just not room for it. So I've, I've been learning how to drop more into that. And it's been a really beautiful unfolding and reality that I've enjoyed very much. Well, that's great. So it's Janine Cohen, right? Mm-hmm. .com. Yep. That's, that's everybody can find you there. And if they have any information on, um, on any of the retreats or anything else, they can go there. Yep. Yep. That's right. They can find it all there. Um, and yeah, Mike, I'm just so grateful that you reached out and that we got to have this time together and I'm excited to, um, you know, hear more about what you're going to be doing in this next chapter as well. And, um, Thank yeah, you thanks very much for taking the time with me. And if I find myself in that area of Mexico, I will I will look you up. Please do. It would be wonderful to show you all of the the beautiful gifts of um, the Yucatan and of Mexico. There's just there's so much to explore. Yeah, it it looks amazing. And from what it you've is. talked about, that sounds great. Is there diving there? Because I'm a scuba diver. I've do- oh, I've dove in Cozumel. Amazing. But... Yeah, yeah. No, there's epic diving there. Definitely. Oh, awesome. Okay, mm-hmm. you talked me into it. And I always warn people when they invite me places, be careful what you say, because I'm the guy who actually shows up. Like two years later, yeah. you get that knock on the door. <laughs> hey, remember when you said if I was ever in the area? Guess what? Well, Here I am. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, mo- you're most welcome. Um, you're most welcome there. And you know, for anyone else who's kind of looking for a break and a way to reprogram and upshift in their own lives, um, yeah. they're welcome too. So yeah, well, it'd be great to have you. Well, congratulations on this uh, new chapter of your life. It's very exciting. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And thanks for everything that you're doing for the travel industry and for keeping on your path and doing the things that bring you joy. It's a really wonderful example. Thanks, Janine. And thank you for doing this. Janine Cohen, everyone. (laughs) 